Thank you, Jesus. So um, I've got some, the message that I'm preaching tonight or bringing is called forgiveness. And um, I would like to have these scriptures, the first first three scriptures on the, on the wall, please. Romans 6, chapter 11 and verse 14. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as though that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Can you say that with me? For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under... Amen. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 36, it's 37 I mean, it says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And I want to underline that, amen. We can have difficulties and sometimes things come our way that may be hard, but we are more than conquerors through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are heaven bound, amen. We must to stay close to the Lord. We had a tongues and interpretation this morning that said that God is coming soon. He's soon coming to take his church away. So um, we need to be ready all the time. God, help us, each and every one of us. First, I pray for myself that I'm ready, amen. But we need to be ready because he's coming back again and he's going to take the church out of this world. And we're going to be free from this world. But there's going to be souls that are still here and we need to be praying for them and reaching out to them. And God, help us to have wisdom and give us opportunity to reach these people, our unsaved loved ones and those, God, that once knew you but they're not in the church. Help us, O Lord, to reach these souls that they can come to know this truth, that they can learn how much you love them the price that you paid for them to have salvation, to know that you are real and to know that you care. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And in Philippians 4 and 4 it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And that scripture says, Rejoice in the Lord always. It It doesn't say sometimes, or when you're feeling good, or when you're feeling strong, or everything's going in your way, going your way, rejoice in the Lord. It just says rejoice in the Lord always. So that's in good times and in bad times. And you know what? When you try to do that, when you do do that, and you've got bad times or struggling times and you begin to rejoice in the Lord, it's amazing how much better you feel. And it's amazing how much those troubles and those difficulties begin to disappear, begin to be lifted from you, and you get a better perspective of it. The Lord is good all the time. There's somebody that said that. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. So he's, he's not, when we're suffering or we have a difficulty, he's still the same. And he knows how to undertake for the need. He knows how to supply the answer for the problem. Amen. So um, I'm talking about the blessedness and the necessity for forgiveness. And the contrast in our lives when we live with forgiveness or unforgiveness. I believe that unforgiveness is not a recognized English word, but it is the best word that explains my message intention. So I'm going to use it anyway. Sin alienates us from God 
and forgiveness restores our relationship with him. In, I just want to say this. When, when Brother Hikila was here, and a few, uh, it's been mentioned over and over again in the Bible, that we've got strongholds and things, and we need, to, we need to let them go. So we need to think about those kind of things when we're listening to this message, things that hinder us, things that are trying to hold us back and, and prevent our, our walk with the Lord. Amen. So I just want to, we don't all necessarily, we're not sinners, we're not, we're not walking around in sin and we're not committing a lot of sin, but we do need forgiveness in our lives. And the only way we can get that forgiveness is the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, what sin really is, is 1 John 3 and 4, whosoever commits a sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So God has given us a law. And he's given us guide, uh, guidance as to what is he likes for us to do and what he doesn't like for us to do and the results of those things. So the period of time of Adam and Eve was before God gave his laws to Moses on the mountain. But God, in his personal conversation with Adam, commanded him not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Yet, with disregard to the consequences, Adam and Eve ate the fruit and transgressed the law of God. All and any sin separates us from God. Prior to their sin, Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with God. The Bible tells us that they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, after they had sinned, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Their sin caused them to be separated from God. They tried to live with and hide their sin, and as a solution, they made coverings for their bodies. They were changed after their sin. Their eyes were opened, and they had knowledge of good and evil. They became aware of aspects of life unbeknown to them, whilst they were living in a sinless state. Their relationship with God changed, and God expelled them from the garden. In regard to the subject of sin, for deep preaching, it would be good if I could um, copy and paste some of Brother Hikile's message from last Sunday. He was, I think I think I said his name right, he spoke so well about sin, and for the positive aspect, I'd like to cut and paste some of what Brother Gavin spoke about this morning. It's awesome to have that positive act, act, aspect that Brother Gavin was talking about. And um, if we could just retain all of these messages, it'd be absolutely wonderful. But uh, unfortunately, they, they, um, we can't keep them all in our memories. But the whole gist of it, and I want to thank God for the preaching and the teaching and to thank God for the truth of his word and that we are exposed to the truth of the word, his word, and we know it. All sin is against God who is holy. All sin is judged by God. The sentence is passed and the consequence is death. But then we have this beautiful scripture in 1 John 3 and 5. And it says, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Amen. And because of God's goodness and salvation, anyone, and I mean anyone, can turn away from ungodly ways, 
follow God's plan, and live in a right relationship with God. My main scripture is Psalm 32, which was written by David. But in conjunction with this psalm, I would like to read Psalm 1 and ask you, if you can, to turn there with me, although the scripture will be on the board. says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth fruit, his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper." The ungodly are not so, but are all like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And in a cross-reverence, I've crossed to Romans chapter 14 and 12, which reads, So then every one that of us shall give account of himself to God. He's going to, we're going to have to stand before God and give an account of ourselves. Psalm 1 speaks of the contrast between the results of two ways of life. The first half speaks of the ways of blessings of a godly person, and the second half, the awful consequences of an ungodly person. Not one of us can point a finger at or criticize an ungodly person because none of us escapes the difficulties, hardships, temptations, and decisions which life presents. We all make choices as to which way of life we wish to pursue. There is no one born perfect, and we have all sinned. But, for by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." The Psalms are written in such a way that when we read them, we can often identify ourselves, our emotions, our cares, our situations, our joys, our needs, our difficulties, and our own human experiences. One person wrote, in every experience of our own, no matter how deep the pain or how great the frustration or how exhilarating the joy, we can find Psalms which reflect our inmost being. Psalms which God uses to bring comfort or to confirm release. Some examples are when we sing of God and worship, we express how good and wonderful God is, as per Psalm 95 and 1. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. When you say those words and you even sing them, you start feeling lifted up straight away. And this is in Psalm 95. And that's what we do when we come to church. Even in our homes, even in our, alone, we can do these things. We can make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We can sing unto the Lord. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him. And with Psalms it says, and in verse 6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. In contrast, when we have found ourselves deep in trouble, we can identify with some verses in Psalm 69 and 1, 2 and, and 
other scripture references. It says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the deep mire where there is no standing. I am coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. I felt like that myself. I am weary of crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. And then on a happy note, when we experience victory, Psalm 18 and 1 says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. And two, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. What a difference it makes to us when we quote these scriptures. We identify with them. What a difference it makes. Even here we could feel ourselves being lifted up as we, as we read the scripture out and we started to respond to it. God knows what we need. He knows how to supply those needs and give us strength to live for him. Back in Psalm 1, this is an illustration of successful living or living successfully. It is safe to say that we all want to have a good life and to succeed. And very often, people would pay a high price to succeed. However, success is to be defined by God, not by the world. Definition of success is to be fulfilled, happy, safe, loved, at peace, an ability to reach goals in life, and some people might say, and to be rich. And although worldly success can give us great pleasure, it does not give us contentment, and it does not bring that peace that we are looking for. The structure of the psalm is simple and clear. Verses 1, 2, 3 speaks of the lifestyle and practices of a righteous person. And then in contrast, verses 4 to 6 speaks of the lifestyle and practices of the ungodly. Psalm 1 has been called the psalm of two ways. This is not a psalm to bring condemnation, neither does it make reference to forgiveness or sinful ways but it is to show that righteousness can be attained and maintained, and ungodliness can be shunned. These two ways of lifestyle are illustrated here, and as I said before, we as individuals can choose whichever lifestyle written of, but we need to be ready to accept the consequences of that lifestyle that we choose. We need to be ready to accept those consequences. We can turn... For a new, uh, new Testament scripture, I'd like to read Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, which says, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. We are some of those few. Amen. The word straight here means narrow, not a gate with a bend in it. Keeping Psalm number one in mind, I would like to move on now to Psalm 32. And we can turn there in our Bibles too, please. But it will also be up on the screen. Blessed is he whose transgiven, transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, 
and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I keep silence, my bones wax all through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned unto droughts of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee, for in a time when thou mayest be found, surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. The next three verses would be as if God himself was speaking. And verse 8 says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with the bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Verse 11 says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice ye righteous, and shout for joy all ye that are upright in heart. Psalm 32 was written by David, and it speaks of forgiveness and the blessings of forgiveness. He also speaks of God being his hiding place and that God will instruct, teach, and guide him in the way he should go and will preserve him from trouble. There is much depth in this psalm, which only has 11 verses, and yet David states three times the word selah, which we understand is to mean pause or think about what we're reading, think about what the word is saying, try to digest it and pause on that word and get the deep meaning of it and its intention for the reader's uh, goodness and strength. In Psalms, okay, in Second Samuel, references made to David's sin with Bathsheba, and his psalm, the psalm is written resulting from God's forgiveness and restoration to David after the sin. The first verse says, "Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is comfort, covered." And except for blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, as stated in Matthew twelve and thirty-two, any sin. And every sin can be forgiven. There is no sin too big or too ugly for God not to forgive. And it is a serious matter that our sins are forgiven and that we turn away from our sins because we cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven with sin in our lives. Isaiah 59 and 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So we separate we become separated from the Lord. And I just want to say here that uh, if, we have, if we have sin in our lives at all, um, if we've made a mistake and we have a sin in our lives, um, we, can st- we can still come to church and worship God, and I'm suggesting that we do that. Because God can mend us, he can heal us, the ministers can pray for us, we can be healed, we can be delivered whilst we come into the house of the Lord. And a lot of people, they say, well, I've done this wrong, and I've done that wrong, and I'm not, I'm not going to church, I'm not good enough, I'm not going to church. 
You don't have to be good to come to church. You have to have a need to come to church. You have to need what God has got to give to you. Don't stay away if we've made a mistake. Don't stay away if we've done something wrong. And even if it's against one of us, between us, and I doubt very much that it is so, come together and talk about it and let God heal that wound. Let God fix it. Let God bring deliverance. Let God give forgiveness and you can walk in liberty. But it's not a good idea to walk away at a time like that. It's not a good idea to walk away at any time. Now I've lost my place. We may appease ourselves by considering that we are not so bad. If we've got a sin or we've sinned or anyway, I'm not so bad. I don't know if you ever feel that way, but I'm not so bad, especially compared with some other people. I'm definitely not so bad. And also, God knows my heart. I'm not so bad. But you are so bad. I am so bad. Amen. And forgiveness is not automatic. It's not an automatic done thing. I have to participate in receiving forgiveness. It's not just going to fall down from the sky and say, Sheila, you are forgiven. I have to ask God. We need to go to him. We need to repent. We need to ask him. It's not automatic. You've done something wrong. God's not just going to forgive you. We need to ask him. We need to confess what we've done wrong. We need to speak to him. We need to kneel before him. We need to reach out to him and ask him to forgive us. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about David just now. But after David sinned and after God had forgiven him, he didn't stay in that state of, oh, I've sinned all my life. I'm so bad. He got up and he moved forward. He didn't stay in that position and stay in that place under condemnation. God had forgiven him. God's word says he's forgiven. Amen. And he got up and he walked. He can't stop what's done. It's happened. It's over. And it's made a, made a, a, a splotch in his life. But he can move forward and not stay there. And we likewise. I don't know what, I don't know what you like, but I, I tend to have a cart behind me full of, full of misgivings as if I'm carrying a, a cart attached to me as if I'm trailing it around and it's got this wrongdoing in it and it's got that wrongdoing in it and it's got another wrongdoing in it and I can go back to when I was five or six and find a wrongdoing and put it and it's, it's holding me back. I've got no success. I've got no victory. I'm being held back by the weights that I'm carrying. Amen. By the weights that are holding me back, by the things that I've done in the past. You know, when God looks at us, he doesn't see those sins. He doesn't see them anymore. They're gone. Amen. We cleanse. We've been healed. They're gone. And he doesn't see them. But we keep them alive. We need to stop doing that. Amen. Sheila, you need to stop doing that. It's gone. It's done. It's over. It's forgiven by the grace of the Almighty God, by his power, by his love, by his mercy. Hallelujah. Jesus in your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So, as I said, we need to humble ourselves, repent. Confess to God that we have sinned and ask his forgiveness. It is a false teaching that a priest can absolve our sins. Only God 
can absolve our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To face up to sin can be difficult because we have to expose the sin, renounce it, and ask for forgiveness. But God gives forgiveness. He declares it. It's not earned. And we see in Psalm, in <coughs> Psalm that David did not immediately face up to the sin he committed. We see, too, that sin has a way of affecting our lives negatively. In verse 1, David says, Whose sin is covered? This does not mean that God covers sin, disregards it. It means that the price or the cost of sin has been paid for by the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how sin is covered. It's covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. To illustrate, um, and, and Jesus paid that price for all of us, every single one without exception. To illustrate as a little example, and maybe it's a bit lighthearted, I don't know, but if a group of us go out for a meal together, it's going to cost something. And one person in the group says, don't worry about the cost, I'll cover it. He'll pay for it all. Jesus has paid for our sin. He's paid for that sin. He's paid for that forgiveness. He's paid that we can be healed, and he's paid that we can be delivered and live a righteous life. <coughs> um, <coughs> sin is a big deal, and it needs to be dealt with. For thousands of years, we have had the word of God. We've had prophets. We've had teachers. We've had preachers telling us what sin is and telling us about sin and telling us how it needs to be dealt with and what the consequences are and that there is forgiveness obtainable. So there is no excuse for us. I didn't know. <clears throat> We've got uh, a lot of evidence and teaching and leading that teaches us about sin. Why is it necessary for sin to be forgiven? What sin does is bring spiritual death and separation and until we deal with it in repentance, our lives will be uncomfortable. We will lose the joy of our salvation. We lose our peace and are hindered in our worship and our fellowship with God. When we come to church and we're just longing to worship God and we've got a terrible weight of something that we've done wrong and God's presence is flowing and Sister Mandy's got her hands up and she's worshipping God. And Emma's got her hands up and she's worshipping and dancing before the Lord. And I've got to wait. I've got something that I shouldn't have done. And I can't, I don't I struggle to lift up my arms and to lift up my hands and to praise Him. I struggle. It's not right. I need there and then to say, Lord, please forgive me. Let me get past this because it's going to hinder my worship. I'm not going to gain anything in the house of the Lord if I'm there like a block of wood. I'm not going to gain anything. I need to reach out to God and God will respond and God will touch me and God will do in me what I can't even imagine he can do in me to make the situation right. And then I can empty something out of my my trailer that I'm carrying around. I can get rid of it. Amen. I don't want all those weights. I don't want all of those things that are holding me back. When Brother Hekila was here last weekend, he said, uh, he's talking about strongholds. And he says, bring them to the Lord. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, what strongholds have I got? Unless God tells me you've got strongholds, then they such and such and such and such. 
what strongholds have I got? I must have some because I know I'm not totally free. I must have some strongholds. What are they? What could they be? And I'm standing there and I'm scratching my head and I don't want to be denied the opportunity of getting right with God. I don't want to be denied the opportunity of losing out with God. I want to take advantage and I want to get healed. I want to get that sorted out. Amen. Because that service is gone when I walk out the door and if I haven't participated, I've lost that opportunity. And he said, he was talking about these strongholds and he asked us all to come to the front and be prayed for and to pray, pray for God to help us with those strongholds. And while I'm, while I'm standing there in my, my chair, I'm thinking, what strongholds, what strongholds? I think maybe bitterness, maybe unforgiveness, maybe resentment. That's B-U-R. I'll be able to remember that because it's B-U-R. Bitterness, um, unforgiveness, resentment. And then pride. Pride is always there. So it spells burp. So burp up those things. Burp them out. Get rid of them. Burp them out. Burp them out. Get rid of the strongholds. Burp them out. Let them come out. It doesn't matter what sound you're making. Burp it out. Get it out. Get those strongholds out of our lives. Amen. And let God take care of them. They're just holding us back and restraining us as we live for him. Amen. If we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is what? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And the next part, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. What a powerful scripture that is. What a powerful, powerful, powerful scripture. Amen. David is one of the best loved characters in the Bible. He is known to us as a shepherd boy who became the second king of Israel. Obviously, as a shepherd boy, he spent lots and lots of time alone out in the countryside. He led his sheep to green pastures for feeding. He led them beside rivers for fresh, cool water for drinking and refreshment. And he led them to shade under the trees for rest. Daily, David was alone in the countryside with his sheep only. The main sounds he heard would be the bleating of sheep, the babbling brooks, or running water. He made sure the sheep wanted for nothing. All their needs were taken care of. Against wild animals, a bear and a lion, he protected their sheep with the strength and ability given to him by God. His life was mainly peaceful, peaceful and that whilst he was out alone, he used that time constructively. He must have used his sling and practiced throwing, uh, slinging stones rather a lot, and he developed accuracy. He played music on his harp. He lifted his voice in praise to God. He wrote poetry, and more than half of the psalms written are attributed to him. When he was yet a young man, he killed the giant Goliath who threatened Israel. He was used by God to play music to Saul and appease him when he had been troubled by an evil spirit. David was a warrior and, as mentioned before, the second king of Israel. He had a beautiful countenance and was goodly to look at. And as a shepherd boy, he lived his life close to God. Um, he was also called a man after God's own heart. David's life was not perfect, but he had faith and trust in God. He wrote psalms about the goodness of God. 
He worshipped he worshipped God and he was called, I've said that, a man after God's own heart. Now, could such a successful man who's got everything going for him sin? You wouldn't think he would sin because he's got everything going for him. But yes, he did sin. And the Apostle Paul said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but now how to perform that which is good, I find not. Romans 8 and 18. After his sin, David's life was wretched because he kept silent and did not own up to sin. He says that his bones waxed old through his roaring all the day long. The NIV version says, My bones grew old because of my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. What was causing David to suffer this way? What was continually troubling him? It was his conscience, the conscience which God gives to all of us in creation to help us decide which way to go, what to do and what not to do. We thank God for this capacity to feel physical and spiritual pain which provides us with the warning and a motivation to change. While David was suffering this way, God sent the prophet Nathan to him. I mean, doesn't it just blow your mind how wonderful God is? He could have just left David. David had sinned. Oh, it's just beautiful. But he sent Nathan, the prophet, to David. And he said, and he, he and, and it, I don't know what he said, but anyway. Could I have? Nathan spoke a parable to David about a rich man with many flocks and herds, and in contrast, a poor man with only one ewe lamb. So to entertain his visitors, the rich man killed the little ewe lamb belonging to the poor man. And David became very angry with the rich man, and he spoke a punishment for him. Nathan told him that the rich man represents David's behavior. David understood and realized, and he said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And then the change is written in Psalm 32 and 5. David acknowledges his sin. He confesses his transgressions to the Lord and his sin was forgiven. And Psalm 32, 11 ends like this. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice ye righteous and shout for joy all ye that are upright in heart. Amen. Let us live out this scripture and live a close life to God and be sensitive to the Spirit of God and His desires for us to live for Him. Tonight, if you'd like to come and uh, pray to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, or if you've got any needs that you'd like to bring to the Lord, we open the altars for a while. Please feel free, free to come. I just feel that thanksgiving is in order. I just feel that praise, and I feel that this 
worship of the Almighty God who's done this wonderful thing for us and paid the price that we can be delivered and forgiven of sin and cleansed from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah.